You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie.com. March Madness is here, guys. It's championship week, and there's no better place for you guys to get in on all of the NCAA tournament action, the championship week action, than my bookie. Of course, they've got your standard lines, but they got so much more than that. They've got player props. They've got game props. They've got teasers. You can parlay so many different things. You can place future bets. Really, whatever it is that you want to wager on when it comes to the college basketball postseason, MyBookie's got options for you. So make sure to get in on all that action today at MyBookie.ag. But I am your host, Tyler, and today I am back with another edition of the Friday Five. I know I told you guys earlier in the week on our last episode when we did our offensive spring practice primer that today I was going to do the defensive spring practice primer. But I'm going to call a little bit of an audible here. I, I was going to do that. That was the original plan. But there are a couple other things outside of the world of Georgia football. Still very much in the realm of Georgia athletics, but maybe just not directly football related. That has caught my attention and that I would really just like to give a little love to here on the podcast today. We, we have a football topic. In fact, we're going to lead things off today with a football topic, but it's not going to be all football today. And also, honestly, with spring practice kicking off next Tuesday, I thought it just made a little bit more sense to publish our last spring practice primer the day before to kind of lead right into spring practice. So that kind of just made a little sense to me. So I figured why not? Let's let's give a little bit of love to some of the other sports around campus today that I know a lot of you also have some interest in and that just honestly don't get the coverage that football gets on a regular basis. I know football drives the ship. Trust me, it drives my heart too. But I also know that there's a lot of you out there that do have interest in some of the other Georgia sports, and it's just really hard to find coverage of those sports. So I've got this microphone sitting here in front of me. I keep up with all these sports, so I'm going to try to do my part here to keep you guys up to date with some of the other fantastic things that are going on around campus when it comes to Georgia athletics. But we are going to start with a football topic because, again, football drives the ship. We know that. And this is a recruiting topic. You know, we have spring practice coming up next week. Everything's quiet right now. The students are on spring break. The coaches are out of town. They're on spring break too. And they're doing a little bit of prep, but they're also trying to get a little bit of family time before things really pick up steam with spring practice. So everything's quiet there when it comes to the team stuff. We had the NFL Combine last week. We covered that. But things on the recruiting trail 
are starting to pick up some steam. And that's where I want to focus my attention today when it comes to Georgia football. And I want to talk about five-star quarterback, number one quarterback in the country, Dylan Rayola out of Arizona, Pinnacle High School. This is certainly not the first time that we have mentioned Dylan Rayola's name. We've talked about him quite a bit over the past couple of months since the end of the 2022 college football season. Because this guy's a big-time dude. Like, he is a legit number one quarterback. Like, this guy is the real deal. I, I think the word generational gets thrown around far too loosely when it comes to quarterbacks. If you say generational, that means, by definition, that type of player only comes around once in a generation. You can't have a generational quarterback every single cycle. But every single cycle, we seem to have a quarterback that gets the generational label. So I'm not going to sit here and call Dylan Rayola a generational talent, but what I will tell you is he is one hell of a talent. He checks about every single box. He's got the size, he's got the mobility, he's got the arm strength, he's got the pedigree. He can make every single throw there is on the field. I don't know whether or not he's going to be generational, but he is the real deal. And you guys know that we have been heavily involved in his recruitment really for a couple of years. We kind of backed off a little bit. He did he did commit to Ohio State uh, going back to last year, but he decommitted during this late in this in this past 2022 football season. And now things are very much open for him. I don't want to say he's wide open, but there are a couple of schools that have a legitimate chance to land Dylan Rayola as the number one quarterback in the country. And Georgia is certainly one of those. The other two that you hear most prominently mentioned when it comes to Rayola are USC, of course, Lincoln Riley and his history of producing Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks that has to be very attractive to Rayola. He has recently made a visit to USC this past weekend. He's also been doing some training in, in California. He's in Arizona. He's on the West Coast. Getting to USC is easier for him. I imagine he'll probably make a couple more trips to USC. Nebraska is heavily involved. Now, Nebraska fans think that they are the leader in the club. I was like, he is theirs to lose. And maybe he is. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But you might be wondering why Nebraska. His dad played Nebraska. He's got some connections there. So uh, that that certainly is a factor, and that might be where he ends up. But the Georgia Bulldogs have been a constant, really going back a couple of years to the beginning of his recruitment, those early stages of his recruitment. Now, Buster Faulkner was a big part of his recruitment. He's now at Georgia Tech. Todd Munkin was a big part of his recruitment. He's now with the Baltimore Ravens. Mike Bobo, though, has been involved in his recruitment. I know Bobo's only been on staff for a year, but right away got heavily involved in his recruitment. And once it seemed like Todd Munkin might be looking at the NFL, Kirby's not an idiot. He understands how these things go. We recruit at a nuclear level the way that we do every single year because Kirby Smart knows what's going on, knows what he's doing when it comes to recruiting. So when he saw the writing on the wall there, of course, he probably knew that he was going to elevate Mike Bobo to the OC position if and when Todd Munkin left. So let's really increase the, the the contact between Dylan Rayola and Mike Bobo, which is, of course, what we did. The Rayola family has been very open that they have been kept abreast of all those things with Todd Munkin, and they've had a good relationship with Mike Bobo. We've mentioned on here before, Rayola's dad was the center for Matthew Stafford in Detroit for quite a number of years. Uh, they watched the Super Bowl with the Staffords. So Matthew Stafford, obviously the quarterback under Mike Bobo at Georgia, has spent a lot of time talking up Bobo, raving about him to the Rayola family. So just because we've lost Todd Buggin, just because we lost Buster Faulkner does not mean that we are out of this picture. It does not mean that at all. Does, does it help our cause? Probably not, but Kirby's done a really good job of kind of mitigating the losses of those two guys. But we are certainly in this, and 
there's been some chatter over the past couple of weeks, some consternation within the Georgia fan base that Rayola might or might not take a visit to Georgia during the spring. We thought that he would, but then there was some chatter among rival fan bases. Oh, he's not going to go to Georgia. Well, it was reported by 247 Sports Steve Wiltfong earlier this week that, nah, that, that's wrong. Dylan Rayola is coming to Georgia. In fact, he will be here not this weekend, but next weekend. He's actually going to make a, a, a quick stop, a pit stop in at Georgia Tech. He's going to fly into Atlanta. He's going to stop into Georgia Tech there just to kind of pay some respects to Buster Faulkner. But he's just going to, from what I understand, just spend like not even a full day there and then make his way to Athens for a couple of days. We're going to host him next weekend. So he will be visiting, coming all the way across country next weekend. And that's a big deal, guys. When the dude's coming all the way across country like that, you are very much in this battle, especially when it's an unofficial visit, which means that the university is not paying for him to travel across country. We are not paying for his flight. We are not paying to put him up in a hotel. That's all on his own dime. Now, I know his dad played in the NFL. They got money. It's not much of an issue. But hey, like that's still commitment. And that's still showing very strong interest when you're making an unofficial visit across country like that. Does it necessarily mean that we are going to land him or that we are the front runner? No, of course it doesn't. But what it is is a very strong indicator that we are still very much in the thick of the race for the number one quarterback in the country. Now, we do already have one quarterback committed in this class, a guy named Ryan Puglisi from Connecticut. If you guys are not familiar with Puglisi, he's a guy that came and worked out for our staff here last summer and just blew our staff away. We offered him and started pursuing him heavily and really, really turned up the heat on him and were ultimately able to land his commitment last summer. So we've had him committed for over six months or so at this point. But you also have to consider the situation in our quarterback room right now. There's still a very good chance that one of the quarterbacks currently in our room right now, we have three scholarship quarterbacks in the quarterback room currently, and there's a very good chance at least one of them, if they don't win the battle, is going to transfer after or before this season. We'll see how that plays out. And who knows, if Carson Beck wins the job, or heck, even if it's Brock Vinegar who wins the job, and either one of them have incredible years, they both would be eligible to leave for the NFL draft. Carson Beck would probably be more likely because he's going into his fourth year on campus. So even though it might be only one good season, if he has a hellaciously good season, if he has a, a season that the caliber of Stetson Bennett last year, now that's probably unlikely. But if he does, the guy's probably moving on. And we might be left with one scholarship quarterback. If one of them transfers out and Beck leaves after this year, if he wins the job, or if, if Beck transfers out, if he doesn't win the job, and Vandergriff wins the job, and then he tra- and then he turns pro, Gunnar Stockton might be the only scholarship quarterback left on the roster. And that's not a situation that you want to be in. Now, of course, the transfer portal that kind of mitigates those things to a degree, but you don't want to have to rely on the transfer portal because you never know who's going to be available and who won't be available. So you got to shore up that room. So we're almost certainly going to take two quarterbacks in this class. Puglisi will be one of them. We've done a really good job. His family has done some interviews and they, they've been very upfront with the fact that Kirby and staff have been upfront with them that we're gonna we are going to take two quarterbacks in this class and they are totally okay with that. Puglisi himself has been quoted as saying like, hey man, I know wherever I go, I'm gonna have competition. Especially if you go to a place like Georgia, there's gonna be competition. I'm cool with that. I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna compete. But there's another name. Obviously, our number one option to be the second quarterback in this class would be Dylan Rayola. But that, that's a tough pull. We're talking about the number one quarterback in the country. We're very much in the conversation, but it, it, it's certainly not a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. So you have to have contingencies, and we have one hell of a contingency in place right now. We have recently offered a kid by the name of Jake Merklinger 
out of Calvary Day in Savannah. Now, this is a guy that I've been watching for a while because, you know, I've heard some things about him, heard some buzz around him, watched some tape, and this kid can play. He's a fringe top 100 guy nationally. Uh, 247, actually, I mean, 247 Sports has him at 113. The 247 Composite has him 58th nationally and the number seven quarterback overall. Puglisi is number 131 quarterback nationally, number 12 quarterback overall according to the 247 Composite. So technically, Merklinger is higher rated than Puglisi is. I'm really high on Puglisi and I'm really high on Merklinger as well. I'm, I was surprised, honestly, that it took us as long to offer Merklinger as it did. This is an in-state dude going into his senior year next year, and we didn't offer this guy until February 6th of his junior year. So it's a really late offer, but when you're the in-state school, especially if he's been a Georgia fan his entire life, which I don't know if that's the case, but if he has, you can kind of more so get away with that than if you're an out-of-state school. So you kind of have a little bit of a luxury there. Now, you don't want to offer that late, but what we what happened here is Munkin wasn't, I guess, as high on him potentially, and he wasn't one of the offers that Munkin was going to throw out. I know the timeline doesn't entirely match up here, but look, we, we saw the rag on the wall. We understood that there was a strong likelihood that Todd Munkin was going to go to the NFL and so Kirby, understand that he was going to promote Mike Bobo, probably gave Bobo a little bit more authority to throw out some offers to some quarterbacks since he would be the guy that would be working with those quarterbacks. And so I am of the opinion that the Merklinger offer is a Bobo eval. And this is a guy that Bobo really kind of has targeted and, and wants to go on this roster. Now, again, I think we take Rayola over Merklinger if we get that opportunity, of course, if he wants to commit. But if we don't get Rayola... If we can land Jake Merklinger, I think that is one hell of a backup option. If you want to call him a backup option, I guess he is a backup option. But I mean, when you're talking about a guy that talented, uh, you're not going to shed too many tears over that. So that's kind of where we are with the quarterback room right now. Rayola is coming to town. I think Merklinger actually actually is also going to be in town for an unofficial visit next weekend as well. So we'll have both him and Rayola in town. So that'll be very interesting. But it's good to have both those guys on campus. No doubt about it. Two very, very highly rated quarterbacks. But all right, guys, before we move on, I do just want to take a quick minute, and I want to remind you guys about our friends at MyBookie. I know I mentioned them at the outset of the episode, but I want to give you guys a little bit more information on what's going on with MyBookie this March. You guys know March Madness has officially begun. I've been watching all these championship games. In fact, I kind of have it on right now as I'm recording this episode. It's kind of distracting me. I need to turn it off, but you know, I'm trying to multitask here. Actually, let's turn that off. I don't have the brain capacity to, to handle that right now, but March Madness has officially begun. And it's time for you to shoot your shot and score big on all the nonstop action this March with my bookie. Whether you're filling out multiple brackets, I know a lot of you like to do that. It's okay. Do your thing. Do what it takes to win that bracket, man. Win that office pool. Or whether you're trying to place a future bet on the eventual national championship winner. Or hey, if you're just simply looking for player props, game props to have some fun this March, my bookie has you covered. And it's so simple, guys. Getting started with my bookie could not be more simple. All you have to do is visit the website online mybookie.ag make that first deposit use the promo code UGA to claim an exclusive deposit bonus that's promo code UGA to claim some extra money on top of that initial deposit what is there to lose guys with hundreds of thousands in prizes for March Madness and weekly blackjack tournaments you can turn your game day this March into payday with my bookie so do it now guys bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight 
Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, let's turn the page from Georgia football here for the rest of this episode. We'll get back to Georgia football next week, guys. Trust me, Monday, we'll have our spring practice primer for the defensive side of the ball. We'll get you guys ready for spring practice, and and we'll cover spring practice all March and April long. But I want to talk some Georgia baseball here for a few minutes. I'm excited about this team, guys. I didn't know what to think coming into the year. I told you guys I did the, uh, the preview for the baseball season a couple of weeks ago, and I told you on that episode that I felt like the offense was going to be our strength this year. I felt like this had a chance to be the best offensive team that Scott Strickland has had during his time here in Athens. And through 13 games, that has absolutely 1,000% proved to be the case. But what I was most concerned about was our starting pitching. I felt like we had some options in the bullpen. The bullpen was a disaster for us last year. It was probably our biggest weakness. But we went out and we addressed that. We added some some quality veteran arms. And we have a lot of good depth there in the bullpen. I feel better about that. I think the pin has by and large been really good. Now we've been doing some mixing and matching, trying to get some freshmen, some opportunities out there. But I think the pin's been pretty good. I was concerned about the starting pitching. Jaden Woods was the guy that was going to be pegged to be the the number one starter, the Friday night starter, and he's had moments. He's been up and down. He's been spectacular, but he's also been hammered. Uh, He got hammered late last year coming out of the bullpen. But the arm was there. You knew he had the stuff. He's he's a guy that can that can run that fastball up there, get, get some good movement on it, and he can strike guys out. But he just didn't really have a ton of off-speed options to go with that fastball. He's basically a two-pitch guy, and he didn't really have great command over that second pitch or his off-speed pitch. But he's added a little bit of a slider this year. And But I was concerned coming into the year about, okay, is he going to be able to be that guy? Because he got hit really hard at the end of last year. Liam Sullivan was good for us for the most part last year, but he certainly was not a dominant number two starter on Saturdays. And then I had absolutely no idea what we were going to do on Sundays and the midweek. And as of right now, I still have no idea. But after a shaky opening weekend, Jaden Woods and Liam Sullivan have been lights out out over the course of their past two starts. Let me go over some numbers here, guys. So Jaden Woods, I was at opening day against Jacksonville State, and Jaden Woods was terrible. I mean, I, I, I'm i not trying to rip the kid. I'm really not. I just have to be honest with you. He was flat out terrible. It was not his day. He went two innings, gave up four earned runs in those two innings, walked five batters over the course of those two innings, hit another dude, and gave up two home runs in a game that we ended up losing. And I walked out of Foley Field that evening 
just shaking my head saying, man, it's going to be a long season because I saw the same Jaden Woods that I saw the back half of last season, really through a large chunk of SEC play. And I was like, maybe that's just who this guy is. I had high expectations for him. I think he can be better than that. But maybe at this point, that's just who he is. So I was pretty down about it because if if that's our Friday starter, it's going to be a long, long season. But I got to give this guy a ton of of credit. Mental toughness is going out there, trusting your stuff because he has come back over the course of his last two starts. And this dude has been borderline unhittable. He's been fantastic. So he's gone 10 and two thirds innings over the last two weekends, giving up a combined four hits, only three walks, no hit batters, zero home runs, which was a big problem from him last year, elevating that fastball and guys are just sitting on it and crushing it. He's given up zero earned runs over the course of his last two starts and has gotten his ERA all the way down to 2.84. Now I do obviously want to see it against better competition, but it's a start, man. And I'm really, really excited about what Jaden Woods can do. If he can continue that through most of the rest of the season, then this is going to be a damn good baseball team. I really do believe that. But Liam Sullivan, if possible, has been even more impressive on Saturdays. Now, his first start wasn't spectacular, but it wasn't a disaster either. Uh, He gave up three runs, but they were all unearned. He gave a home run. There's an error, and he gave up a home run, and and, uh, they were able to get three runs across the board on him. But you don't really put all that on him because it was an unearned run. But he really wasn't sharp. He was walking some guys in that first game. I think he hit a batter in that first game, but just like Woods over the last two starts, Sullivan has been even more unhittable. He's gone 12 and one thirds inning, only three hits, 19 strikeouts, including a career high 11 strikeouts two weekends ago. Uh, He has has walked four batters. Control has been an issue for him, uh, but it's only given up one earned run over the course of his past two starts. In fact, two weeks ago, against Princeton, he went seven innings of hitless baseball. We took him out after seven innings, but he could have potentially thrown a no-hitter, but we took him out, and uh, we were going for the combined no-hitter. We we blew that later in the game, but Sullivan was just absolutely incredible. And I know it's Princeton. I get that. I get that. But that's still the kind of thing you want to see against a team like Princeton. And last week against Georgia Tech, both Sullivan and Woods were lights out, and they got us two dubs against our in-state rivals. I still have no idea what we're going to do on Sunday. Sundays are just going to be an adventure, guys. It's going to be an absolute adventure. We started with a freshman, Blake Gillespie, but he has just been getting crushed, man. It's been a really rough start for him, and I hate it for the guy. You got to think it's kind of in his head at this point. We brought him in midweek. Uh, against Georgia Southern for a couple innings, and I think gave it four four more earned runs in that game. He's just getting hit hard right now. He's a young guy. The staff's really high on him. I think he's going to be really good, but he's just got to figure things out. I mean, when you're a young guy like that, 18 years old, trying to play SEC baseball, it's tough, man. It's really, really difficult. Nolan Crisp is a guy that that was our, our Sunday starter for a large chunk of last season, most of SEC play, and he's a really solid guy. He's really more of a bullpen guy, but he was thrust into starting a starting role by necessity last year, and he performed admirably. Like he's not an overpowering guy; he doesn't have overpowering stuff. I mean, his fastball's in the top out in the the low nineties, if if that, and he's got some solid off speed stuff. But he's certainly not an overpowering pitcher. The key for him is going in there and throwing strikes and, and keeping the ball down. If he can do that, he can be effective and give you four or five innings and then you just kind of go from there and you try to mix it together with your bullpen what's probably going to be in the case is it's just going to be a, a bullpen game on Sundays I think that's what we're probably going to go with we have some really good young arms Matthew Hoskins is a guy that I'm really high on Leighton Finley is another guy that I think both those guys have like 
top of the rotation type stuff, but they're freshmen, just like Gillespie, and they're going to be good. Like they're both big, they got big arms, and they've got really good stuff, but they're inconsistent with, with their location right now, and uh, it's just going to take some time. But we're trying to thrust them out there and, and put them out there in situations and just get them some some experience, and hopefully, as the season continues to progress, one of those guys, whether it's Hoskins, whether it's Finley, whether it's Gillespie, maybe he, he turns it on. Hopefully, one of those guys can step up and be. A, a really good solid option for us on Sundays but right now it's just going to be an adventure and then the midweek looks to be the same thing as well but let's move on to our third topic of the day even though we might have to outscore teams on Sundays and during the midweek we have a damn good shot at doing that because our offense is flat out crushing the baseball we are knocking the cover off of the baseball right now I told you guys a couple weeks ago, I felt our offense was going to be the strength of this team. And again, it, it has certainly been that way through the first 13 games of the season. I don't see why it would slow down. And we have some dudes that can absolutely swing the bat right now. We, we know what Connor Tate is going to bring to the table. Connor Tate is currently, what is he? I think he is fourth in the SEC right now in batting average with, with a 480 average. He's got a couple of home runs, uh, 15 RBIs. He's just doing what Connor Tate's done really his entire career when he's gotten opportunities. He was that guy last year. The problem was last year finding guys to go along with him. Parks Harbor came on late last year, not really late last year, I would say about midway through the SEC season, he became our second best hitter behind Connor. Uh, Colte was really good for us as well, but we didn't really have much of a punch there outside of those guys. This year, that's not the case because we have a true, legitimate, middle-of-the-lineup power hitter in Charlie Condon. He's a redshirt freshman, cousin of Owen Condon, who was once here as an offensive lineman. He's now, I think, at SMU, but Charlie Condon is a big, strong, physical dude, and he is killing the baseball right now. He is currently first in the SEC in RBIs, third in home runs, second in batting average, and third in slugging. He's hitting 490 right now, six home runs, 29 RBIs. He's slugging 1,000. He was hitting fourth for us. We moved him up to the three hole because we want that bat in there as, as much as we possibly can. And this guy has, not only has he been hitting well, like when I, he's hitting he's hit six home runs, Guys, that doesn't do justice to what he's doing to the baseball. He is absolutely obliterating the baseball. When he hits a home run, they are no doubters. His exit velocity is consistently 110 plus right now. And if he can be that guy all season for us, now he'll probably hit a tough stretch here or there eventually. You know, when, when we get an SEC play, you know, he is a rusher, fresh and playing for the first time in his career. It, it's inevitable. It's going to happen at some point. But if he can continue to be a middle of the lineup power hitter for us. That's the, what we've been missing, guys. That's what we've not had a consistent dude like that. So if you can match him with guys like Connor Tate and Parks Harbor, okay, watch out. And I'm not even, t- I haven't mentioned Corey Collins. Corey Collins, Corey Collins has been far more consistent for us this year. He's got four home runs himself. Then we've got Cole Wagner, who's who's got that potential to, to be a, a power hitter as well. Ben Anderson at the top of the lineup in our leadoff, leadoff spot. For a leadoff guy, he's got some punch in his bat. Right now, we are hitting an average of 2.2 home runs a game. I mean, there was a game a couple of weeks ago. It was against Presbyterian. We hit five home runs in one inning, which is insane. Like Georgia, Georgia's offenses under Scott Strickland have never come close to doing anything like that, even if it's against Presbyterian. So 2.2 home runs a game. We are on pace right now for 100 home runs this season. If we continue with our, with our pace that we're on right now, we hit 81 last year. So this offense is clearly 
the best offense in Georgia history. Now, I'm sure once we get into SEC play, things will, will die down a little bit, but still, I love this lineup, and I think even if we have some pitching issues on Sundays and in the midweek, they're going to give us a chance to win every game, and we're never going to really be out of games because of the way that we can hit the baseball. So very excited about that. I think this team is going to be pretty good, guys. I think this is going to be another postseason team. I need to see what we do in SEC play before I start to get into the, the realm of predicting that this might be the year that we finally get out of a regional make it to a super. I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. I would like to see our, our top of the rotation pitchers with Woods and Sullivan do this against SEC play. I want to see our lineup against SEC play, but right now I'm feeling really good about this team. It's, at the very least, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think this is, this is a definitely a postseason team. But I'm going to reserve judgment as to whether I think this is a team that's going to advance out of a regional. But uh, we'll see. We will revisit that once we get into SEC play here in a couple of weeks. But all right, guys, before we move on, I do just want to also remind you about our good friends at Alumni Hall. We cannot forget about them because they've always got us covered. Speaking of baseball, they've got a ton of great Georgia baseball gear hitting the shelves right now. I was just in there a couple of days ago, I think two days ago, picked up some stuff for myself. I'm going to be rocking it this weekend here in Athens when Charleston Southern is in town. So do yourself a solid and pick up some fantastic Georgia baseball gear for yourself as well at Alumni Hall because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, a couple more things here. The next item on my list, number four on our list of topics today, is Stegman Coliseum. I know you guys have probably seen this story. If not, I'll give you a quick little recap. Um, Stedman Coliseum is falling apart. Okay, maybe not quite, but kind of also. So um, just after the basketball season ended, there was a palm-sized piece of the roof that was discovered somewhere within Stegman Coliseum. And that has caused us to immediately shut down Stegman, close it down, and cease any sort of activities when they're for the foreseeable future. Um, from my understanding, it's going to be several months, if not longer, before Stegman Coliseum is reopened. The gymnastics competition this past weekend had to be moved to Gwinnett, to the artist formerly known as the Gwinnett Arena. I don't know what it's called now. When I was a kid, it was the Gwinnett Arena, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Graduations for the local high schools here in and around Athens and Oconee County have been canceled for May, and they've been told to find alternate options. It's going to be a while. And this is not the first time this has happened. This has also happened back in 2018 and 2020 as well with smaller pieces of the ceiling or the roof, whatever you want to call it. But it has happened before. This is just the largest piece and this was at least large enough to be concerning enough for us to immediately 
close down Stegman Coliseum and we're going to hire some more consult some engineering consulting firms have them come out give us an idea of what's going on and what the repair is going to be and what we need to do what's the course of action all that stuff I don't know what the issue is and what's ultimately going to end up happening but when something like this happens to a facility that was open in 1964 a facility that is almost 60 years old it inevitably brings up the question when are we going to get rid of Stedman Coliseum? When are we going to actually build a new modern arena for Georgia basketball, Georgia gymnastics, Georgia volleyball, and whoever else wants to use the arena? Now, I will say I am not one of the biggest critics of Stegman Coliseum. I know there are a lot of people out there that absolutely loathe Stegman and think it's the worst college basketball arena there is in the history of the world. I do not see it that way. We have done some renovations to it over the past decade, and it is a far cry from what it was when I was in school back in the the mid-2000s. The aesthetics are better. The concourses are better. The restrooms are better. The seating is better. Everything about it is better than it used to be. But just because it's better than it used to be, does that necessarily mean it's as good as it needs to be? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And look, I know building a new arena is a significant financial investment. Texas just opened up a brand new arena, Moody Arena in in Austin, and that thing had a $338 million price tag. Now, that is outrageous. It does not cost necessarily that much money to build an arena. Texas just went insane with the construction of that arena. To give you some comps here, so Ole Miss back in 2014 opened up their new arena. It was $96.8 million, still a lot of a lot of money. Auburn back, I think that was 2016, opened up uh, what was formerly known as Auburn Arena. I think it's Neville Arena now, $86.5 million. Clemson, I think it was 2016. They did not build a brand new arena, but they completely renovated Little John Coliseum. It's like, it's like a different place now. They kept the bones the same, but they just tore out the guts and, and redid it all over again and that cost 63.5 million dollars so 338 million that texas spent like that's a lot uh, but i don't think it has to be necessarily that much i think that, that that's too much like that's not fisc- fiscally responsible unless you have a donor who is willing to pony up that kind of money and, and maybe for naming rights you can get a, a chunk of that paid off i don't know but the, the, here's the problem when it comes to putting a new basketball arena the University of Georgia does not have a rich basketball tradition. We don't have an overly passionate basketball fan base because we have not had a rich basketball tradition. Therefore, it's going to be really difficult to convince donors to pony up the kind of cash it would take to build the type of arena that Texas just built for $338 million. This is not Kentucky. Basketball is not our number one priority. I guess you can say the same for Texas, but they also have oil money and they have all these donors who have too much money that they have no idea what to do with. I just don't know where we're going to find $330 plus million dollars for a Georgia basketball arena. I don't think there are donors who care enough about Georgia basketball to put up that kind of money when they can spend on Georgia football, which they care far more about. I think that's the real problem when it comes to building a new arena for the basketball program and the gymnastics program and everyone else who uses it. And while our revenues are great and it's only going to go up once we enter this new TV deal with ESPN and our athletic department is routinely one of the most fiscally sound athletic departments in the country, we just don't have enough funding for $338 million worth of an arena. We just don't have that. But again, it doesn't have to be that. That's, that is the extreme high side of things. $100 million? You're talking about like what Ole Miss did? 
I think that's very doable. I think that we can we can find the funding for that. I think we can get a lot of private donations for that. I think we can we can dedicate enough of that from our actual reserves or from our our revenues, especially with the new TV deal kicking in here in a year or so, to make a new arena a very realistic possibility. But I just can't help but think that's a pipe dream because this athletic department, and I'm not. I'm not trying to put this on Josh Brooks. Josh Brooks has done a fantastic job. He has opened up the purse strings in a way they have never been opened up in the history of our program since he's taken over as, as our athletic director. I love Josh Brooks. I think he's doing a fantastic job. I never want him to leave the job. He's, he's fantastic, man. He's amazing. But the way that we have traditionally approached Georgia basketball is the mindset that, hey, we will invest in the program once you give us something to invest in. So like they're waiting for us to actually be good before they really, really, really go in with both feet and invest in the program as opposed to going the other way around, invest in the program so that we can have the resources that we need to be good, to compete with the best teams in the SEC and around the country. And that's kind of been a frustration for me. I don't think that we have consistently invested the kind of money that we need in our basketball program to have any sort of success, any sort of consistent success. Now, is building a brand new arena and having a state-of-the-art arena a prerequisite for your basketball program to, to take off and take it to the next level? No, absolutely not. Look at Alabama, guys. Look at Alabama. I don't know how many of you have ever been in Coleman Coliseum, their basketball arena in Tuscaloosa. It is the worst basketball arena I have ever been in in the history of my life. And guys, I know that a lot of you hate Stegman Coliseum. And Stegman's not great. I don't think Stegman's as bad as people want to say it is. It used to be pretty bad. I think it's fine now. It's not the best. It's fine. It's whatever. But Coleman Coliseum makes Stegman look like the Taj Mahal. It makes it look like a palace. And Alabama has been a top three team pretty much all season long, despite the fact that they play in the worst arena that I have ever seen. That place makes dinosaurs look cutting edge. So no, you don't have to have a state-of-the-art arena to be really good at basketball, but it certainly helps. At the very least, it just shows prospective recruits that you care, that you're investing in Georgia basketball. And, that, and that's one of the things that we have to overcome. Right now, one of the reasons it's really hard for us to recruit at a consistent level is that we don't really give prospective players any signs that we really care. I'm not sure how much playing in a, in a nice new arena is is like high on the priority list of these recruits. I think they care far more about the practice facility. Our, our practice facility, it's getting a little bit older now. I mean, it, it was new back when I was in school, like in 2005 and six, but it's still nice. Uh, but they they care for, more about that because that's where they spend the majority of their time than they do the arena. They play they play in in the arena what you know 15 times a year. But it's not nece- necessarily about that. It's about the message it sends to all of these guys that you are trying to recruit and bring into your program. They want to play to place where they feel like it's a big deal that people actually care. People are going to come to the games and the the athletic department, the administration is going to invest in them. And right now, I don't think that we give off that impression. I don't think that's how recruits view us. So if we ever want to actually be good at basketball in any sort of consistent way, I really do believe that we have got to start investing more in our program. You can say the exact same thing about Georgia baseball. 100% agree with that. But we're talking about basketball right now. And I think we have to invest more in our program. Now, does that mean that we just have to go into the red trying to build a new arena and trying to outdo everyone and spend $350 million like Texas did? No, we have to be fiscally responsible about it, but we can still be fiscally responsible and also 
invest in our programming. So yeah, at the end of the day, I've kind of gone back and forth on this over the years because again, I, I don't think Stedman's as bad as a lot of other people do. I think we, we have done some nice things. Do I hear a lot of people say that we're just putting lipstick on a pig? And I guess maybe there's some truth to that, but Stegman's far better than it used to be, and I have no issue watching a game inside of there, but it'd also be really cool to have a nice new state-of-the-art arena that could bring more people to to the basketball program to actually generate some interest within the fan base with it for the basketball team and to show recruits that we care and that we're going to invest in Georgia basketball. So maybe, just maybe, this gives us an ever so slight opening to make that a possibility. I'm still not super hopeful on it because we just, again, don't ever seem to want to invest in our basketball program in any meaningful way, shape, or form, but maybe this is the opening that we've been waiting for. We'll see. All right, guys, last topic of the day is Georgia tennis. We are now in SEC play. I was just at the Dan McGill Tennis Complex earlier today to take in Georgia's match, the men's match against Texas A&M, a match in which we won 5-2. We dropped the doubles point, but we reeled off five of six singles matches to win our third consecutive conference matchup. So we are now 3-0 in conference play on the men's side. We are all the way up to number seven in the country. Ethan Quinn is the number two ranked singles player in the country as a redshirt freshman. He's really just a freshman. He was here uh, last spring semester. He came, he was an early enrollee, so they call him a redshirt freshman, but he didn't play at all for us last year. Um, but he is he's a freshman, and he is number two in the country. This dude, I, I saw him for the first time during the outdoor season. This is the first match that we've had outdoors this season, at least in the outdoor portion of the season. And Ethan is the best Georgia tennis player I have seen since John Isner. And I don't say that lightly, guys. And I, I watch every single match, every single home match I go to. I, I literally every single home match I am there. And uh, I've seen a lot of Georgia tennis. And we've had a lot of really, really, really good players. But Ethan is the best player that we have had since John Isner back in while. I think he left in 2007. I think that's the year I graduated. I think he graduated as well. So Ethan is awesome. And he is only a redshirt freshman. So this guy is, he's a future pro. Um, I hope he stays <laughs> all four years. We'll see. I don't know. He's, he won a lot of pro tournaments in the, in the, in the summer, but he's amazing guys. Like he really is like, he is legit. He's the real deal. And the thing is, he's still got room to improve. He's still got room to get better. He's got to get some more experience. Every match, he just gets better and better and better. So I am sky high on his future and I'm sky high on the future of Georgia tennis. We have another kid coming in next year, Alex Michelson, who is, I mean, I can't say he's as good as Ethan, but I mean, he's starting to play like that. He's, he's a senior in high school right now, and he is going out and playing big time dudes in pro tournaments and beating big time dudes. He beat a guy named Jack Sock, who was a former, I think he's a top 10 player at one point in his career on the ATP. So he's going to come in and play with Ethan next year. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. And right now, Ethan is the best player on the team. No doubt about it. But we have a a group of super seniors who have been around for a long time. They all chose to come back for another year, their COVID year. And they are just, I love these guys so much. They have meant so much. Georgia tennis getting us back on the right track. They are all fantastic young men. And they come and they work. I know the coaching staff loves them. I'm going to miss these guys. But it's really nice to have this stud young guy 
mixed in with all these crafty and just also really talented veterans as well. I mean, Philip Henning is a, a top 20 player himself on court two. Trent Bryce played court one for us and, and Trent's still a really good player. He, he had a tough year last year, but he's playing some really good tennis right now. Blake Croyder on court four. He clinched the match for us today. Um, we got a transfer from Clemson, Tidor Juska and Miguel Perez Pena is a sophomore that plays court six for us. And he's had a really good sophomore year. He was kind of he, I don't want to say struggled as a freshman, but he was in and out of the lineup on court six as a freshman. But he has been a mainstay for us there and won some big matches for us on court six. He won as well today. So the guys are playing really well right now. And I've said it for years now. It's been true for years. Like every year for the past three or four years, like we have been a national title contender. We haven't won a national title, but we have a shot. Like we have that kind of team, especially if Ethan can continue to grow and develop. Really what's going to be important for us is doubles. We lost the doubles point today. If we win the doubles point, like we, we're going to be a really tough out for anybody. And we have a huge match next Saturday. We have a, we have a big match at home again on Saturday at 1 p.m. against Vanderbilt. So if you're in town, come on out. It's not going to be raining. At least right now it says it's not going to be raining. We'll see how that holds up. But next weekend, we have a huge top 10 matchup against Tennessee. Tennessee has been really good for a couple of years now. They have this kid named Johannes Monday on court one. Big, tall dude. And... um. He's, he's incredible, man. He's really good. So that matchup between Monday, he's a top 10 singles player himself. That matchup between Ethan Quinn and Johannes Monday is prime time stuff. So go ahead, guys. I'm just mentioning that right now. I know it's not until next weekend, but put that in your calendar and try to make a trip up to Athens to take in that match because that is going to be a super entertaining match. And I'm already pumped for that one. So I'm really excited about the guys team. And on the other side, the women also every year for the past, what, five years or so, another national title contender all the way up to number three nationally. We have so much depth in the singles lineup on this team. We are very, very talented up and down the lineup. But on court one, I know I mentioned her a couple times, Leah Ma has been a top 10 player all year long. She has come into her own. She's always been super talented, but she is just taking it to another level. She's dialed in, she's focused, and she's playing at a level I have never seen her play at, at least not consistently. I mean, she's beating top players left and right. This girl has has really taken her game and turned it up a notch. And if she can continue on like that, I mean, watch out for this Georgia women's tennis team. Dasha Vidmanova at court two as a sophomore has also moved up inside the top 15 in the singles ring and she's number 12. She's a big, tall, powerful player and she's long. So she's able to play really, really good defense. I love Dasha. I think she's going to be a big time player for us, a potential court one player once Leah leaves after next year. And they've got Mel Riasco in court three who played a little bit of court two and court one for us last year. She loves to sit on the baseline and she loves the ground strokes and she's got a fan. She's a lefty. She's got a great forehand, a really nice backhand as well. I would love to see her come up to the net a little bit more. I think she's really effective when she does that. I think sometimes she hangs out in the, uh, at the uh, baseline a little too much and then she just wants to bang with people. And for the most part, that works for her because her ground strokes are so so strong. But uh, she's she's an awesome player. I mean, she's beat some big-time players last year when Leah was out in the, in the conference tournament on, on court one. And just like the men's team, the women have opened up really strong in conference play, gotten out to a 2-0 start, and we will, we're going to be on the road this week and we will be back home next weekend. So a lot of really exciting things going on at the Dan McGill Tennis Complex. So if you guys have not had a chance to, now the weather's getting nicer, make a trip up to Athens. If you're close to the area, come on up here. If you're not, make a weekend out of it. Bring the whole family. It's free, guys. Every match is free to get into, and we have the best 
tennis facility in the country. If you've never taken taken in a match, if, even if you don't know that much about tennis, come on out, guys. It's just a lot of fun. Like I didn't know much about tennis when I started going to all the matches, and I figured it out real quickly, and I was just I was just captivated by it, and I learned more and more and more about it to the point now where I just cannot get enough of Georgia tennis. So. Come on out and enjoy a fantastic weekend in the Classic City with the family and support our men and women's tennis dogs. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you guys. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the college basketball this weekend, championship weekend. I guess we'll have the brackets on Sunday. We'll have a little college basketball talk for you guys next week. But, of course, on Monday, I will be back with part two of our spring practice primary series focusing on the defensive side of the ball. But thank you for being here, guys. Enjoy your weekend. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dog.